Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Battle to Be Phoenix and Ferryman podcast. And I apologize that we're running a little tiny bit late today. My intended guest, uh, Suzanne Renee, is having a little bit of technical difficulties. And so we're we're hoping that she's going to be able to pop in here in just a few minutes. But I wanted to say some things to you guys because I made a post today on Facebook. And on that post, I did a little introduction of who I am, what I do, what I stand for. And in that post, when I actually listed out all of my titles and the things that I'm involved in, uh, I had a person comment to me, wow, you're so lucky that you get to do all those things. So I kind of thought I would come at you guys and show you that I'm a normal person and every single one of you is capable of choosing the path that I've chosen. But I also want to give you a little bit of insight into the cost, the price of the path that I've chosen. So many of you guys know that I am founder and president of Battle to Be, our 501c3 nonprofit organization. And I am also uh, involved in another organization called Global Healing Right Now, which helps survivors of childhood abuse tell their stories and speak their, you find their voice, speak their truth. And I also have a for-profit business, which is Rise Up Phoenix. So all of these different things that I'm involved in, yes, it sounds super glamorous. I'm an author and I'm an international speaker and I get to do all these things. But what that looks like in the real world is 12 to 14 hour days, seven days a week, it literally is, I work four jobs and only get paid for one of them. So when you see my posts, when I do glamorous things or when I'm involved in an activity that seems extremely awesome, know that my life is absolutely awesome and what I'm doing is extraordinary and I wouldn't change it for the world. But none of that came easy, none of that came free and none of that was luck. So literally every single day, I spend one to two hours educating, researching, and learning more about trauma. So there's so much involved in that. There is no luck. There is hard work and perseverance and a desire to contribute back to the community. So just a little note on when you look at someone on Facebook and you think that what their life is, is so amazing, know that behind the scenes, there's a lot of work that you're not seeing. So I think we've got Suzanne here, so I'm going to bring her on board, and she is author of Conquering the Undertow. Hi. Hi. I made it. <laughs> we've had so many technical difficulties today. It's so funny, but I've never had anyone's audio not work. <laughs> I just do charades a little bit, you know. <laughs> which device do I need to be on right now <laughs> exactly so you only recently published your book correct yes I published in October October 10th actually how has that been for you what has that experience been like uh it's been 
It's 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 been probably every possible emotion you could experience. Um, definitely a lot of just surprise. I think for a long time I didn't think anyone would actually want to. I said to myself, "Who's ever going to want to read my story? Whoever is going to want my hear my story?" And the moment when people reach out to me and tell me like, "Oh, I thought it was only you know my family that dealt with grief in that way," or "I I thought I was the only one that felt that way," and I made the fact that I'm able to make an impact on people in that way just takes my breath away. Honestly, when I wrote the book, that's all I ever wanted was for other people to be able to say, I feel less alone because of what you shared in this story. That is so important. That concept, that's the whole reason that we're here. That idea that we're not alone in everything that we go through, no matter how horrific it is, no matter how extraordinary it seems, we're never ever alone. So, can you tell us a little bit without going through <laughs> your traumas? Um, tell us a little bit about what you have overcome and what challenges you faced. Absolutely. So, um, <laughs> sorry. I uh, when I was um, when I was twenty five, I um, I lost my um, my dad to um, a heart attack, and then as I was starting to actually move a little process and feel like maybe life could be possibly be normal. I lost my brother to suicide. And, you know, I said to myself at the time, you know, I said, I hope bad things don't come in threes. And then the following um, January, you know, it was pretty much almost about a year after I lost my dad, I was all happy that I was finally able to, you know, go out and go out to a bar and try to have some semblance of normalcy. I was, you know, in my mid twenties and I went out one night and I was sexually assaulted. So, by the time all three of those were done, I really didn't have enough time in between each of them to kind of process what happened to the one before. I didn't realize until years later the impact that those three together really made on me. I think our society doesn't do a very good job of preparing us for understanding what the aftermath of a traumatic experience is. Absolutely. I think, I think we need to do a better job of giving people an understanding of what post-traumatic stress is and how that shows up in our lives. So you're, you're a perfect example of exactly where that need comes into play. You probably had, like, it hits you when you had no idea. Yeah, I know, no idea. And that's something I'm really passionate about is the idea of community help. I don't like this concept of self-help because it puts a lot on the individual and people would say to me, oh, you should get help. You should go to therapy. You should do this. You should do that. But when you don't even feel the strength to like get out of bed that day, the idea of having to even, you know, I mean, now it's a lot more streamlined with, you know, the internet and things like that. But even, even today I have friends who tell me, where do I even start finding somebody? You go on the internet and there's 8,000 therapists out there. And it's almost like these days we have too many options and not really no one really knows kind of where to, you know, start with it. But a lot of this happened in like 2007, 2008, where it wasn't so major. But even then, I just kind of felt very much I was on my own. Even after I lost my dad, you know, my friends would try to be there for me, but they were 25. They had no idea what to say to somebody. Or even now, I realize I had a friend that lost her mom. And what came to my mind to say to her was, sorry for your loss. And I said that at first. And then I was like, you know what? I'm one of those people who speaks about how 
that's not enough. I need to be the one that pushes myself a little further. And I really went online and tried to find out what else I can do. And one of the big things they said was really listen to the person because a lot of times they'll tell you what they need. And she told me, I don't even have the energy to cook my kids dinner. I'm exhausted. So I got together with a few friends and we sent her lunch for a few days and it just made her whole day. But it's because I didn't just put it on her of like, I hope she feels better. I really took as as if it was my loss too. And I think when it comes to a lot of post-traumatic stress, people don't take it in the way of that's my burden or my experience to carry they're kind of like well you deal with it you figure out a solution I don't know how to help you right oh agreed or I'm afraid to help you or I'm afraid to say something that will make you angry (laughs) I don't know what to do so so much of that totally so your focus is primarily on grief and overcoming that and I believe if I read your stuff correctly, you're working with clients now also in coaching. Is that correct? Yes. Grief, but, but, you know, grief, depression and and just, you know, sexual, you know, assault and things like that Um, as well. I think my, my my main passion, though, really is, you know, the depression, especially in young people. You know, I lost years later after all that happened. I lost um, a friend to suicide and. I got to the point that I was pretty rock bottom myself. So really that I I think a lot of people are really getting more into the idea of the quarter life crisis and that a lot of people who are like, Oh, you're in your twenties at the best time of your life, but it's not, it's a really difficult time to figure out what you should do and really learning to trust yourself. Right. Your twenties is when you step out, you have to be responsible for everything. You have to make your life choices. You deal with primary relationships. Oftentimes you deal with the grief of leaving your parents and having to discover a new world where you're not supported in the same way. There's so much that happens in our 20s. And in the United States, we don't have any forms of ritual transition. We don't don't create any celebration of transformation. We don't make it a rite of passage. It just happens. You're just dropped and it's like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden you're alone. And then what? So it's a huge, huge time of change. And change can either feel good or change can feel bad. So oftentimes that's when people fall into those traps of negative self-talk, the beliefs that they were raised with, and then realizing things just aren't the way they thought they were going to be. So there's this this huge wall of disappointment that yeah. it it's a whole, all you need to do is graduate and then your life will be all made. Then you graduate and you're like, okay, I can't even get a job. <laughs> like, there's no food. There's no, like, yeah, this nine to five stuff sucks when you're not doing what you're passionate about. And absolutely. Do you even know what you're passionate about at that point in time? So that's an excellent age group to focus on. Yeah. What has your journey been? What what steps did you take to to discover your healing? And that's a great question. One really, um, you know, now that I've had more time with the pandemic and not being, you know, out so much things like that, I've really had the time to reflect because. 
I'm so grateful for my life now. And I remember, you know, I, um, a lot of these things happened in Florida and because of everything I moved out of Florida because I had it, you know, if I was in Florida, it was going to be like that. And I finally realized that it's the whole, it's where you are, you know, it's not, it's not where you are, it's, you know, where you are in your life. And I finally moved back, you know, about a year ago. And during that time, I realized all these things that used to, you know, trigger me that I'm like, wow, this place actually is beautiful. I'm finally able to enjoy being here, which for, you know, many years I, I wasn't able to because of all the, the depression and the PTSD and things like that. Um, but I pretty much um, a, a term that I would say to describe a lot of my journey that I've really remember enjoying so much is this whole term of toxic positivity. So when those th three things happened to me, instead of me being like, you know what, I need to slow down, I need to take some time off from work. You know, my default from, you know, childhood and things like that was to be the positive, you know, happy person in the family. And I didn't want my friends to, you know, again, you know, being 25, I didn't want to go out to a bar, my friends say, Hey, how was your week? And maybe like, it was awful. I couldn't sleep. I was after half the night, you know, with, with nightmares, I don't know what's wrong. So I would just force myself to be like, happy. And when I finally got to the point years later that through, you know, therapy and things like that, that I realized that you don't have to be happy all the time, that every emotion happens for a reason. And it's like you said, if something makes you angry about that nine to five job, maybe it's because you're not enjoying what you're doing. If something is making, if you're, when you hang out with a certain person, you're feeling really sad all the time, maybe it's something about them that's causing that. And um, pretty much I was so focused on the positive for so many years but at the same time, there was like the happy social me out, out at parties all the time. And then there was the me that was waking up in the middle of the night. And what's interesting is my PTSD wasn't really even about the sexual assault. It's a weird thing when I, it was actually about my job and about guests yelling at me. I'd constantly wake up thinking that I forgot to do something for work or that, you know, someone was mad at me at work. And it was just it, that compounded my whole experience from the sexual thought of not having any power of my life. But I didn't dream about that at all. I dreamt about just, you know, daily normal kind of like work stuff. And then when I Googled it, which I, I realized it's not the thing to do, as they say, it's diagnosed stuff, not just physically over Google, but don't mentally diagnose yourself, yourself over Google either. It, Google pretty much said that what your brain does is it deals with whatever during the day didn't get complete during the day it deals with at night. So I said, oh, my brain's just trying to make sense of a busy day. Everybody has a stressful job. It's just trying to figure it out. But the fact that I was waking up in like sweats and things like that was not a, a normal job experience. And um, finally, years later, I lost my job because I was just exhausted and I kept making mistakes. And I, I started to think the mistakes were me. I was like, oh, you know, I, I forgot my keys because I'm just, you know, forgetful. I didn't count the money right because I don't know how to count you know, cash well. And I found all these reasons why I thought things were happening. I never thought it was something as big as something that actually had a term attached to it. And I, I lost my job. I decided to go travel. And as I was traveling, I realized I was finally by myself and I was really confronted with myself and I was just miserable. And I finally came home early because I was just feeling so awful. And um, a few days I spent um, in a hospital just because I was feeling just you know, so um, hopeless about everything. Um, I got out of there. I started doing some um, some some therapy. I did um, landmark education. You know, a course with them that had a huge impact on my life. And then I realized it was something I had a daily work at. 
that if daily I was experiencing these kind of symptoms, I couldn't just do a course and then be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine or do therapy for a few weeks and say, OK, I'm fine. I really had to make it part of my life. And for me, that's some people spend money on like clothes, some people spend money on jewelry. My thing is personal development because I absolutely love not just in myself, but in other people You know, like you were sharing before seeing that transformation is just seeing how quickly someone could shift from being in such pain to realizing that it's not them and that they can treat themselves better and it's not their fault. That feeling is just like, you feel like you're flying on those days. How, how much of a role did self-identity play in your, in your recovery journey? Did you feel like there were times when you didn't know who you were or, or, what you represented or what mattered to you? How did that present itself for you? I think that's the thing is I realized my entire life how hard I had been on on myself. You know, I wasn't one of those people that that, like my mom, my dad said, why don't you get an A? You know, why aren't you getting good grades? I had put that on myself because at some point I created this story that I had to be the golden child. And that, you know, everything after that, you know, was like, I I have to be the one, I have to be the one. So if I got an A minus instead of an A, I would run down the hall crying in tears, you know, in college because I was so important to me um, that I had to be that person. And finally, when I realized I didn't have to be that person, that I can kind of be whoever I wanted to, that was really exhilarating. But it was also, like you said, kind of scary because it was like, if I could do have any kind of life and I could live anywhere and I could have any job, like that's too much for me. And I would go to the library and I would look at books trying to find someone to tell me how to like live my life. And I think the biggest thing was just comparing my identity to other people. That That's the biggest difference that I do now is I used to come home from work in five hours, spend time on Facebook. Or if a friend said, oh, I got a promotion, I beat myself up the next day that I wasn't doing so. And I've really been focusing on lately on not on having actually be my self-identity, not myself compared to society, myself compared to who my parents want me to be, myself compared to what my friends are being, but really who do I want to be and what really makes me happy. And that having the opportunity to choose your self-identity is actually really cool because for so long we don't realize who we think we are is actually who we decided many years ago. That's who we were. And like, you don't have to be that person anymore. That's one of the fun things that in our industry we get to play with. My favorite thing with clients as they're going through their healing journeys is when they come to that realization that we literally choose who we are every single day and what we want to put out into the world. And you're not bound by anything. If who you were yesterday didn't suit you, you can shift that a little bit. You can move that closer to what's in alignment with you or with your core values and your core needs. You have the ability to adjust and change anything that you don't like about what you're putting out into the world so it's a extraordinarily powerful and definitely as you say it can be a really scary place to be at first but when you learn how to use it and when you maximize that and you can be present in your here and now every single day putting out what you want to be it's liberating there's a freedom to that so do you notice now when you go on Facebook that it's much less emotional, that you don't feel weighed down as much by all the drama and other people's, those comparisons with other people? Well, I think with that, I've done certain things. You know, one is that I've chosen to have really um, 
positive mindset kind of people on my Facebook now. So I don't, I've, I've actually made intentionally made the decision. I'm not going to expose myself to these people if I don't want to. Well, before it was kind of like, okay, I have no option. This is how, you know, how it is of really having that choice. And also I just don't spend so much, as much time like scrolling and looking at their pictures and wondering how great their perfect life is. Like kind of like you were sharing before and I'll look at them. They have, you know, two kids now, you know, how come I can't meet anybody? I really, as soon as I start to notice that like, Oh, I'm starting to wonder if their life's better than mine. Then I go and I do something else because I know that's not a good place to be and it doesn't change my life at all. And it just makes me feel like not great about myself. So I think you know, one of the things I, in the book, I have different transformative tips and one of them is really noticing what you use utilize social media for now honestly i use it more to post things up that are positive that i'm hoping help other people that are dealing with stuff and then after i post whatever it is then i'll, I'll sign offline i don't need to spend an hour on there it doesn't you know do anything so you mentioned your book um are there a couple of other tips that you'd like to give our audience absolutely my uh, my favorite definitely is feel it to heal it and it's something so small. And when I was told this years ago, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a nice concept. But I really delved into really like living that way every day. And that even if the feelings are, you know, scary or hard or whatever else, I know that avoiding your feelings because they're difficult is the worst thing that you can do. Because I only wanted to experience, like I said before, the happy feelings and anything that was bad. I almost felt guilty for feeling angry or feeling sad because it was like, nope, I shouldn't be angry. I should be happy. Why am I feeling this way? I'm going to move on. I'm going to forget about it. And then it stays within you. And I really, the idea of releasing um, and saying it's okay to release this feeling. It's okay to not um, be mad at myself for being mad. Like I, if I'm mad, it's okay to be, to be mad. I, I think that and also just slowing down. I think that's one that they say after trauma that a lot of people don't slow down because it's almost like the trauma is still chasing them. And they're afraid that if they slow down, that the trauma is going to, you know, kind of get you in that way. And I would go to the beach. I would go to yoga. I would try to do things to people in this world say relax. And it wasn't relaxing to me because I was, I was feeling bad for slowing down. It was in the back of my head. It was like, you shouldn't be at the beach. You should be doing something. You should be productive. You should be food shopping and really give myself the space. Say, you know what, if it's a Saturday and I do absolutely nothing and all I do is I stay home and I walk around the neighborhood, like that's okay. You don't have to always be doing something. You could just be taking a moment to write a poem or write a book. And that like, you know, that, that's the interesting thing, thing that they actually say between men, like men and women a lot of times is that, when a man's doing nothing, he sees it as something. But when a woman's doing nothing, they feel bad they're doing nothing. And that really opened my eyes to people in general of how often we don't allow ourselves just to do nothing because we think it's like a bad thing. But it actually kind of helps re, you know, recharge you and rejuvenate you there as well. And also really just kind of observe and be aware of yourself. You know, like you were saying before. If you feel that way every day that you can change and that you feel stuck and you feel like you already know what tomorrow is going to bring and that, that, that that's how the rest of your like life is going to be, to me, that's a sign that you need to stop and really look at what it is that's making you feel stuck. Because to me, that's the worst feeling anyone could ever experience is a feeling of stuck, a feeling like 
I have no power of my life. This is how it is. I'm stuck in this job. I'm stuck in this relationship. I'm stuck living in this house. And that's the moment I feel like when you should reach out to someone, even if it's just a friend and say, you know, I'm feeling really like stuck today. Can we do something to shake up my day? Can we go out to dinner? Can we do something just, just so I don't feel like this day is the same day as the one before and the one before, because that's one of the hard things about PTSD is your day never ends. After you finish work, after you finish whatever, you know, you go to bed and you're still reliving that same day or that past experience and you never really feel like a new, it's a new day. And to me, that's the best gift I ever gave myself was finding a way to have actually have a new day because people take that for granted. So many people don't realize that a lot of us don't wake up every day feeling it's a new day. And that's just really difficult to live with every day. Right. Missing that sense of calm and that peace and that of and letting your mind rest like I don't have to think for a second that's okay let the air in (laughs) it's my audience is really really aware of what PTSD does to your nervous system but for viewers out there that may not know the this feeling the sensory experience that she's describing is literally caused by the nervous system being stuck basically in a hypervigilant state so if you were to imagine that you're like camping out in the woods and there's a stick that breaks. And that moment when your heart rate increases and you're just alert and you're looking around and you're going, what's, what's that? What's that? There's something out there. That slight sensation of awareness that there may be danger is something that underlies every moment for people who are living with PTSD. They don't get that restful state of calm that so many of us take for granted. So rest peace calm is is uncomfortable when you first find that again when when you get through the experience of that hypervigilance and you can rest have you have you noticed that experience that sometimes the calm is uncomfortable or that it you're you're having to adapt to the new silence that's happening yeah i i definitely um something that i've really you know started to enjoy is um just breathing because i realized like you were saying when your nervous system gets that way what i was not doing for a very long time was was breathing and and that's something that is sometimes like strange to me to just stop and just be like but after i do i feel so so much better that I, that i let myself get through that moment of kind of be feeling a little bit awkward about just being with myself for that minute, because I know after it's kind of like you exercise, like you don't love to exercise, but you like that, that feeling after that high after for me, that's what breathing is. It's taking that moment to do that. And less now, but definitely at first it felt almost like unsafe. And the same thing with slowing down that, you know, a lot of things that I've read that they said, people start to feel they're so used to having that hypervigilant state that you almost feel like uncomfortable, not being busy. And I think that was the hardest thing for me was I used to like, you know, work 10 hours and then I'd go out to a bar for five hours so that I didn't have to have any like downtime. And once I actually had that time of just sitting in my apartment at first, I I was like, Oh, you know, it's so boring. I'm so bored. And, you know, and I, then I, my friend said, you know, maybe bored is a good thing. So being bored is better than being overwhelmed and stressed out and exhausted. And I started to embrace it as such. I said, you know, I think it's really not judging that uncomfortable state because it's very easy to say this is awkward this is uncomfortable this is bad and instead to be like this, this is this is just calm and that's okay and the more you say calm is okay the more that um i think it becomes more of a norm 
you know, it's just like with animals, you know, a lot of animals who have been through trauma, you know, they don't know what to do, but then the more they realize that a calm house is okay, then they take sleep and they nap and they relax and you realize that it's a safe place to be is that common. Actually what you were experiencing before isn't normal. It just became your normal. That was a very good way to put it. Thank you so much for that. And where can they get your book? Absolutely. So it is on Amazon, both on um, Kindle as well as paperback um, with conquering the undertow, learning to breathe again. And what I really enjoy about the book is that, you know, it does obviously have a memoir component where I share a lot of the things that I shared about tonight, but I'm kind of just a representative. A lot of people out there that had something happen, they did not expect to happen and then had no idea what to do. And they, tr and even if you try so hard to get through it, you often feel that undertow feeling that you're, you know, you start to get up, you stand up, you have one good day and then you're dragged back down. So throughout each chapter, it has a tip of what you can kind of try out in your life. And they're really simple, easy things, you know, like, taking time each day to tell someone something you're grateful for but those little things that you put them together and you make them habits they actually can be very life-changing and often I'll have a day that I'll have a bad day and I won't reread the whole book often but I'll go back and I'll read a chapter there to really um see the um the difference there which is where the title conquering the undertow came from because I wanted I also wrote it because not just for people who are dealing with PTSD or things like that I want people in their lives to understand because, you know, I talked to my mom, I talked to my sister, and they're like, we wanted to help you, but we didn't understand that it was like, my brother would say, you have all these great things, you know, everybody loves you, why aren't you happy, why are you so depressed? And so I want it to be an illustration for people who don't really understand completely what it's like to be able to support other people in their life better. And maybe people who don't know how to explain what they're going through to be able to give it to someone and say, this is what it's like for me, or this is somewhat what it's like for me, um, and have people around you that can support you better. Because once I had people in my life that got it, like my entire life changed but it was really hard when I felt like nobody could understand what I was going through and how can people get a hold of you sure so um I do have a website Suzanne Renee is illustrated so lovely there.com as well as Facebook and Instagram Suzanne Renee author perfect is there anything that you would like to say just like your favorite quote or just some words of inspiration before we close out for the night? That's a good question. Um, I just think of realizing that, like, that, that every, that, that they say, you can, I like the quote, um, you can have a bad, uh, just because you have a bad day doesn't mean you have a bad life. And I think often that people have a lot of bad days and start to think that that's always how it's going to be and it's never going to get any better. And they start to not, they start to stop fighting for any better for themselves. Like I was in a job that was very toxic and I started to think like, oh, this is what all jobs are like. Every boss is like this. And as soon as I stopped thinking like maybe there could be something outside of this is when my depression and everything really hit hard because I gave up on wanting more for myself. And so I think that quote of it's, it's not, you know, a bad life. It's just a bad day that when you have those days that are bad and they're a struggle and you, you know, wish that you'd experience whatever it was of telling yourself, you know, today was not a great day, but it doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be like that. And then really before you go to bed, putting something in place for the next day, that's going to ensure that, you know, like I'll put in place, I'm going to go ahead and make sure to call this person or I'm going to take a walk tomorrow. I'm going to do something. So I already promised myself something will be different about that next day. And often just doing one little thing out of the norm, like going down a different street, you realize, oh, like things could be a little different that day. Finding something that next day to do differently really can be inspiring. I love that. Beautiful. 
So thank you so much, Suzanne, for being here with us tonight. And thank I absolutely believe that your words have inspired, motivated, and helped some of our some of our folks out there. If you guys want to get a hold of her book, remember it's available on Amazon. And if you guys want to get a hold of her, remember that her social media is her name as it's spelled down there with author following it. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you. It's a very interesting show. Okay, you guys, to finish off, keep in mind healing isn't linear and those bad days are going to come no matter how far along the healing pathway you are. And that's okay. And that's acceptable. And that's normal. But do follow her advice and change things up tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't have to be what today was. So you guys are in control. You guys can do this. And you never, never have to walk alone.